Today we're beginning a new series, and the series is entitled Toxic, a series on forgiveness. And I wanted to begin today by telling a little bit of the rest of the story. Uh, a few weeks ago, we started a series called Welcome Home that was our January series. And in that series, I, I told the story about how I had an experience that kind of paralleled uh, a parable in the Bible. This parable in the Bible was about a, a prodigal son, a, a son who had taken his father's money, his, his inheritance, and gone out and wasted it in um, reckless living and, and then came to his senses and came home. And, and I grew up in Las Vegas, so I had all the opportunities to do that. Um, but I didn't do that there. I, I had an experience when I was living in Phoenix where I really discovered the fruit and the outcome of, of my pride and my sin and my brokenness. And I really came face to face with that in a way that sobered me and humbled me. And the rest of that story is as I came out of that season, um, I had to deal with forgiveness. I had to deal with letting go of that pain because as I began to process through what happened, all of that um, struggle and, and pain had come in the context of a job. And as I discovered after leaving that job and began to talk to other people, I discovered that my boss had lied to me on a systemic basis. So many things that I made decisions on were based upon lies. Ways that I treated people were based upon lies decisions that I made were based upon lies. And if you've ever been lied to before and then realized it later, you know all of the mixture of emotions that come your way. You feel like you've been duped. You feel angry. You feel bitter. You feel betrayed. And everything within you wants to get even. You're going to hurt that person the way they hurt you. You're going to take it to them the way they took it to you. And so because I was in, still in the same context with this person, I, I wasn't working for them anymore, but they were still a leader where I was. I made it my personal mission to make sure that everything they wanted to succeed failed. I was going to be their number one enemy. Whatever they said, I did my best to uh, disregard and get people to disbelieve. Whatever they wanted to accomplish, I sought out to get in their way. And luckily one day, a good friend of mine named Taylor, we were really close friends in that season of my life. We met every week for coffee. We prayed together, we studied the Bible together. He had complete permission to speak the truth in my life. We were sitting down talking one day about something else entirely. And he said, Scott, I've got to talk to you about something. He said, you have got to deal with this. He said, you are so bitter. You are so angry that you've become toxic. He was saying, it's not just affecting you. You can't see it, but it's affecting all these people around you. You're mad at that one man, but you're taking it out on people who don't even know him. He goes, and I'll be honest, it's really hard to be your friend in this season. You've got to deal with the pain. And you've got to learn how to let go. See, this series is about that kind of experience. That's a universal human experience. We've all been hurt and wounded and betrayed, often by people we thought we could love or trust. We know what it's like to want revenge. In her book, Traveling Mercies, Anne Lamott has a famous quote that refusing to forgive is like drinking rat poison and expecting the rat to die. That's why this series is called Toxic. Because when you don't deal with the wound, 
when you don't move on and begin to figure out what does it mean to forgive? The other person doesn't get hurt. They go on through life just kind of skipping along as if nothing happened. But you're the one who's still in pain. You're the one who's still struggling. And you're the one who remains stuck. So my goal in this series is to expose you to biblical teaching on forgiveness so that we can explode or bust some of the myths that exist about forgiveness. More than any other topic I've studied as a pastor, I have found so much bad teaching around forgiveness. And so many people go, I can't forgive. And when they tell me why they can't forgive, I go, I wouldn't forgive if that's what forgiveness meant either. But that isn't what forgiveness means. And once I begin to talk them through and walk them through what the Bible says about forgiveness, they go, oh, that's really different. I go, yeah. Many of us can't forgive because our idea of forgiveness is not true and unbiblical. And because we've embraced a myth, we never get to experience the reality of forgiveness. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to walk through what does forgiveness actually look like. And each week, I'm going to give you some really practical steps to take action because just listening to me talk is not going to help you forgive. You're going to have to do some work. I don't often give you homework after sermons, but I'm going to give you homework in this series. Because just listening is not going to change things. You're going to have to put these things into practice. And if there's ever been a good time to join one of our community groups, it's right now. Because each week, our groups are going to be walking through this kind of content. I'm excited. My wife and I, we're going to launch our community group in our home this week. So I can begin to not just tell you to be involved in a community, but I can be part of one myself. Otherwise, I'm a little bit of a hypocrite, you know. Um, And so if you're not involved in a community group, there's information in your bulletin about how you can join one. There's information in the lobby. If you're watching online, you can find information there as well. So without further ado, here's our big idea this morning. If you have a copy of the handout, pull it out and get ready to fill some blanks in. The big idea is this. Our ability to give forgiveness is directly related to the forgiveness we've received. Our ability to give forgiveness to other people is directly related to the forgiveness we've received. Now, we're going to walk through this series in a little bit of a sequence. So this week is going to be a lot about us. Next week is going to be about how do we forgive others. And then week three is going to be about when is forgiveness, sorry, when is reconciliation wise and when is it unwise, along with a bunch of other questions that don't fall in these first two weeks. So I thought it'd be good for us to come up with a definition of forgiveness to operate from in this series. Now, this isn't the only definition of forgiveness. It probably isn't the best definition of forgiveness. So you may have a better one. I'd love to know what it is. But here's just our basic one we're going to operate from. Forgiveness is giving up my pursuit of revenge and trusting God to bring justice in a situation. Forgiveness is giving up my pursuit of revenge and trusting God to bring justice in a situation. You'll notice things that aren't here. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. That's one of the myths we're going to bust in this series. They're not the same thing. Forgiveness is not forgetting something happened. That's another myth we're going to bust in this series. Forgiveness is going, I'm no longer like I was going to try to get you back for what you did to me. And I'm going to trust God to be the agent of justice. I'm going to stop being judge, jury, and executioner. I'm going to trust God to bring justice. 
So today, to, to locate ourselves in the scriptures and, and build a biblical um, argument for forgiveness, we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 21. For those of you who don't know, John is one of the four biographies of the life of Jesus. It's written by one of his closest friends. And in John 21, about three quarters of the way through the Bible, we've just finished a really important series of events. We've had Jesus arrested, unjustly tried, convicted of a crime he didn't commit. He's been crucified. He's been buried. He's been resurrected. A few things have happened. And he's already appeared to his closest disciples twice in the upper room where they gathered. And now the disciples have been out fishing, which was their job before they became followers of Jesus. Jesus calls to them from the seashore. They find a great catch of fish. Peter discovers that it's Jesus and he goes running to him. They didn't have fish tacos that morning because they were in ancient Palestine, not Mexico. But I like to think Jesus likes fish tacos because he has good taste. And this is where we pick up the story, John 21, verses 15 to 19. Why don't you stand with me as we read this passage together today in honor of the scriptures. They are God's word. John writes, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. God, I pray that over the next three weeks, not only would you show us the myths we believed about forgiveness, but with the people who are already on our hearts and minds, who we've struggled to forgive and not wanted to take revenge out on, God, I pray that you would lead us into freedom, that you would do miraculous work in our hearts in these days. In your name we pray, amen. You can be seated. This story begins on a lakeside. Jesus is having a meal with his disciples, and he, he pulls Peter aside to have this conversation with him. Because the last time they were really together and had an intimate conversation, Peter had, had not been the kind of friend that he needed to be to Jesus. And if you can imagine uh, the person that, that has hurt you, or maybe the person you've hurt, the person you're struggling to forgive or the person who's struggling to forgive you and walking along a lake with them and having a conversation about how things have gone and what's gone down and how you feel. That may be a terrifying thing for you. Now imagine you're having that conversation with Jesus. And he's the one you disappointed. He's the one you betrayed. 
He's the one who had his moment of greatest need. And if you're like Peter, it's not that you weren't there for him. You denied you ever knew him. And that's the context of this story. And I believe that this story teaches us this big idea that the, the ability that we have to give forgiveness to other people who've hurt us, because all of us have a person who's hurt us, our ability to give them forgiveness is going to be based upon the forgiveness that we've received. And so this morning from this text, I want to show you three steps to building your forgiveness foundation. Next week, we're going to talk about forgiving other people, but we're going to build the foundation today. And if some of you go, yeah, I've, I've been forgiven, I've got that, and you, you check out, it's going to be to your own detriment. Because if you were going to forgive them in your own power, you would have already done so by now. And if you haven't forgiven them, maybe it's because you haven't built the right foundation. So the first step to building your forgiveness foundation is to face your own sin and brokenness. To face your own sin and brokenness. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say these three words, I'm not perfect. And then turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm sorry, I don't love you as much. Because they got ignored. You know, Peter had a blind spot. He had something he was incapable of seeing because he thought that he was incapable of betraying Jesus. And there's some of us that have similar blind spots. We think we're incapable of terribly sinful moments. And in Matthew 26, we read what happened with Peter and Jesus that led to this conversation. Jesus said to his disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night. He predicted it. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee, which is this lakeside. Peter answered him, though they all will fall away because of you, all of them, Jesus, all the other guys, they'll betray you. I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. And then he did it. See, as humans, we're capable of incredible self-deception. We think there's no way I could ever do something that bad. And then we do. We go, I'm not that kind of person. And then we're shocked to learn we are that sinful and we are that broken and we are capable of that. As a pastor, I'll read a story about another pastor who had a moral failure, which is the politically correct term for how stupid are you? And when I was a younger pastor, well, younger than I am now, I got to sit down with Rick Warren, who's the author of The Purpose Driven Life and the pastor of Saddleback Church, and he told us to call him Papa Rick, which is a little bit weird, but... Papa Rick told us, he said, guys, we are all one dumb decision away from ruining what we've spent years building. He said, I've got a folder and it's called my scary folder. And for 35 years, I've put every story of every man I went to seminary with and got into ministry with who had an affair or stole money 
or got so focused on the church that he lost sight of himself. He goes, and I read that folder two or three times a year to literally scare myself and remind myself that I am no better than those men. See, we're capable of deceiving ourselves and thinking that we're better than the people who hurt us. We're better than the people who wounded us. And that's simply not true. Jesus hung on the cross for their sins and he hung on the cross for ours. And sin and brokenness are not terms we leave in our past when we meet Jesus. Yes, he forgives those things, but we still struggle as followers of Jesus. We are not perfect. I think this is a really important idea that I learned when I found this definition of the gospel. One person says, the gospel announces that we are more broken and sinful than we can comprehend. We call the gospel good news, but before it's good news, it's bad news. It's bad news because this is the reason why Jesus had to come. He didn't have to come because we had some ideas wrong and he needed to correct our thinking. He didn't come because he had nothing better to do. No, he came because we are more broken and sinful than we can comprehend. And when you deceive yourself into thinking that you no longer struggle with sin and you're no longer broken, then you become the kind of person someone else has to forgive. So you have to face your sin and brokenness. And nothing has forced me to deal with my sin and brokenness more than my marriage. It's a picture from my wedding day right here. One of my team members asked me to point out that I actually can grow facial hair, but he said, if you look at it, you're going to miss it if I don't point it out. So <laughs> this person had a beard and I do not. Um, but I had no idea how broken I was until I got married. And it wasn't because Danny's perfect. She is some days, but most of the time she's not. But our marriage taught me this by putting me in close proximity and intimacy with someone that I had to see myself as I actually was. I realized I'm not as selfless as I thought I was. I'm not as giving as I thought I was. I'm not as compassionate as I thought I was. There's a lot of days where I care more about me and my agenda and my ego than I like to admit. And I learn this because somebody else tells me this. Because we're sharing the same sink and the same bathroom and the same bed. This is why Gary Thomas built his book, Sacred Marriage, on this quote. God didn't create marriage to make us happy, but to make us holy. This isn't a series on marriage, but... But the reason why I think this book has performed so well, it says over 250,000 copies sold, is because we have this idea in our culture that marriage exists to make us happy. But at its best, marriage exposes the place where we're sinful and broken and gives us an environment to become the people God created us to be, to become more holy. See, forgiveness begins with opening my eyes to my blind spots. And you're never going to be able to forgive someone else if you think you have no need for forgiveness yourself. If forgiveness is all about the other people who've wronged you and it's not about the forgiveness you need yourself, it will be a struggle. That's why the first step in this process is to face your sin and brokenness. If you don't do this, you have no hope of forgiving somebody else. The second step is to seek and accept God's forgiveness. 
The second step in building our forgiveness foundation is to seek and accept God's forgiveness. See, once you realize how broken and messed up you are, not just in a joke to your neighbor, I'm broken, but in a real sense of, man, I, I've, I'm not perfect. I've got real issues. Now, on some days, I am really hard to love. And you're going to struggle to relate to God because that relationship is one in which he is your loving father as that parable we looked at told us. And we come home to him to receive the love and mercy and grace that we need. And some of us have a really hard time relating to God as a father. In her book, Fake, No More Faking Fine, Esther Fleece writes these words. She says, I discovered I was more comfortable relating to God as an employer than I was as a father. See, sometimes we struggle to relate to God as the father who loves us and forgives us, and we're more comfortable with him being our boss. And it's a cold relationship. We do things for him and he gives us performance reviews. Instead of being the father who loved us and created us. See, what happens to Peter is that Peter's in the boat on the side of this lake, or in the middle of this lake, and Jesus is on the side of this lake, and he discovers that it's Jesus, and he jumps out of the boat with all of his clothes on, and he, he swims slash runs to Jesus. Because he wants to see him. He's after Jesus, even though he knows that he's blown it royally. He has this sense that Jesus loves him. That that's who Jesus is. That he isn't the father waiting for him to get home to let him have it. But he senses that there is an opportunity for another chance. And I don't know why Jesus repeated himself three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Maybe it's because Peter denied him three times. And he wanted Peter to know that each of those were things that he forgave. But it seems like Jesus is very focused on making Peter understand that he's not an employer. He's the expression of the loving father. That he is offering him love and mercy and forgiveness. And the first part of that definition is that the gospel announces that we are more broken and sinful than we could comprehend. But the gospel also announces that we're more loved and known than we could ever imagine. And churches tend to live in one half of this definition or the other. Some churches just hammer you with your sin, you're bad, you're terrible. And so you have this horrible self-image that you feel completely unworthy of God's love. Or they only live here with Jesus loves you and he knows you and it's amazing. This is only good news because you hear the bad news first. This is only good news because you know the reality of where you stand without it. And so the gospel announces to us, and this story is a picture for us, that even on our worst day, we are loved and known. Even when we're facing our worst sin and moment of brokenness, we are loved and known. And that's why our ability to give forgiveness is connected to the depth of our received forgiveness. Because forgiveness is something you have to receive from God to be able to give it. 
Otherwise, you're just giving it out of your own strength. And many of you have been hurt and wounded so deeply that you don't have the strength in and of yourself to forgive somebody for that. You need a forgiveness that's bigger than you. You need the forgiveness that can only come from God. Forgiveness is not something you can do on your own because if it was, you would have done it by now. Some of you have been struggling with forgiveness for years, maybe even a decade. And you keep wondering, what's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. You weren't meant to be the source of this forgiveness. This forgiveness has to come from God. Otherwise, what happens, if you think of the definition, forgiveness is letting go of my pursuit of revenge. You go, okay, I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to stop trying to get back at them. What's the other half? Trusting God to bring justice. If you don't trust and depend on the forgiveness you've received from God, you're just going to trust in some sort of global karma that what goes around comes around. And you're just going to pray for them to get theirs, which is kind of like a fake revenge. I'm not going to go after them for revenge, but I'm just going to pray that God does it, you know? Like, and that's not helpful either. So in the same way that our ability to give forgiveness is connected to the forgiveness we've received, our inability to receive forgiveness will result in our inability to give forgiveness. So if you can't receive the forgiveness of Jesus, if you go, man, Jesus, I know you want to forgive me for this, but you can't. I messed up too big. You're never going to be able to give it. You meet people who are bitter and wounded and hurt. What happens when they have someone hurt them again? Do they give them forgiveness? No. We have a cliche, hurt people, hurt people. Because it's the only thing you traffic in. If you traffic in hurt and woundedness and bitterness, it's what you're going to give other people. If we cannot accept God's forgiveness ourselves, then how can we believe that God will forgive someone who hurt us? We have to believe that it's possible for him to forgive us if we're then going to believe that he can forgive them. And Peter was going to experience this. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be arrested. He was going to be abused. He was going to be crucified upside down. How was he prepared to forgive those people? Because he had betrayed Jesus and been forgiven himself. And so for those of you who struggle to receive God's forgiveness, the question I want you to wrestle with this week is what if you began believing that what God says is truer than your feelings? What if you began believing that what God says, that that's truer than your feelings? God could never forgive me. It says in here that he does. Are you going to believe what he says or are you going to believe what you say? Jesus could never love someone like me. If he knew what I did, he does, then he could never forgive me. And yet it says he longs to. If you're struggling to receive the forgiveness of Jesus, then the challenge for you is going to have to be, will you believe what he says 
or will you believe what you say? I don't want to say it's an issue of you having more faith, but it's going to be what do you believe as most true? And then here's the third step. You have to learn to forgive yourself. Step three in building your forgiveness foundation is you have to forgive yourself. And this is the part for me that was brand new this week. I never saw this. But if you think about it, Peter isn't the only disciple who betrayed Jesus. Judas did too. And yet their stories go very different ways. At the moment of Jesus' greatest injustice, he's arrested, he's tried. Peter's there kind of hanging in the, the dark. And he gets asked, do you know Jesus? No, I don't know him. You followed him. No, I don't know him. Did you follow Jesus? No, I didn't. And then Judas, on the other side, what Judas does is he literally sells Jesus out for a small amount of money. And afterwards, he feels racked and overwhelmed with guilt and shame. And yet Judas doesn't have a lakeside conversation with Jesus like Peter does. And the question I've been wrestling with that they put on the screen a couple minutes early was, would Jesus have forgiven Judas? And I think the answer is yes. And this is not about suicide. This is about the grace of God. See, forgiveness is not about the magnitude of sin. Forgiveness is about the grace of God merited because of Christ's death on the cross that, as the old hymn would say, that is greater than all our sin. And so Jesus longed to forgive Judas, but Judas didn't give them the chance to have a conversation. It wasn't because Jesus didn't long to forgive Judas. It's because Judas couldn't forgive himself. I mean, I wonder, you got to know, the Bible didn't have to happen the way it happened. Jesus didn't long for Judas to take his life. Judas chose that. And in many ways, I think some of us could have a lakeside experience with Jesus the way that Peter did. But if we keep beating ourselves up over it, that conversation will never come. For some of us, we are harder on ourselves than Jesus is. And we're beating ourselves up for stuff that Jesus has already forgiven. There is no verse in, you know, Second Hezekiah that says, forgive yourself. But for many of us, I think, I think it's the barrier we face to experiencing forgiveness. And so if this is you, I have two things I want to say to you today. The first one is failure is an event, not a person. Failure is an event, not a person. Peter failed Jesus that day. That was an event. But Peter was not a failure. You read the stories of Scripture, and he became the rock upon which Jesus built the early church. He was the one who stood up and testified to the grace of God, and 3,000 were saved in Acts 2. He was the one who took the gospel for the first time to non-Jews. Not a failure. Had an event of failure, but was not a failure. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you're going to have to deal with shame. 
if this is your struggle in forgiving yourself. You're going to have to deal with shame. And as a follower of Jesus, there is no place for shame. It's incompatible with the grace of God. I love how shame researcher Bernane Brown defines shame. She says, guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. And if you are under the forgiveness and grace of Jesus, this statement is no longer true. So here's the thing. Guilt wakes you up. When you feel a sense of conviction, I did something wrong, that should wake you up. Shame is just going to beat you up again and again and again and again. And shame is the dirty little secret in the church that many Christians just beat themselves up and feel they are unworthy of the love and grace of Jesus. I, I could go on for a whole sermon today, but I don't have the time. But if you struggle with shame, your verse is Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you hear the voice of condemnation and you've experienced the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, that is not the voice of Jesus. That's either your internal voice or the voice of our enemy, Satan, who wants to beat you down. Now, if you've never experienced the love and grace of Jesus, then Jesus is trying to use that sense of guilt and conviction to wake you up to your need for a savior. Don't tune that out. But for many of you in this room that already are followers of Jesus, you've got to get past shame. Because if you can't forgive yourself, you're going to struggle to forgive someone else. And so you've got to deal with this before you get to that. So our big idea is our ability to give forgiveness is directly related to the forgiveness we've received. And so in the time that we have left, I wanted to be real intentional and real practical and help you this week. And so I've got three action items for you that I'd encourage you to write down. And here's the first one. I want you to process the discussion questions at the bottom of your handout by yourself and in a community group. Because here's the thing. As one friend told me this week, she's like, Scott, you're opening a hornet's nest. Like, I know. But this is the stuff that keeps us stuck. And if we don't deal with it, we'll never go on. I mean, Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. But you can't experience the abundance God wants for you if you're stuck, unwilling to forgive yourself. You can't experience the eternal abundant life Jesus gave his life for if you're beating yourself up for your worst moment. And so I'd encourage you to process through these discussion questions by yourself and then in a community group so you can get some people to walk with you through this. Here's the second question I want you to ask or if answer. Finish this sentence. I know I need to forgive blank. And put a name in there. It may take you a moment or some time. Some of you, man, you've had a name on your mind the whole morning. But who do you need to forgive? This can't just be theoretical. We've got to drag this down into everyday life and say, who do we need to forgive? 
And again, next week, I'm gonna get, we're going to walk through a story from the Gospels where Jesus teaches us what forgiveness looks like and what it doesn't look like. And I'm going to walk you through some really practical steps that have helped me to forgive. But first, I want you to identify who that is. And then three, I want you to pray every day this week for God to work in your heart. And you say, Scott, what does that mean? Well, I don't know. I don't know what God wants to do in your heart, but I have a sense you might start be starting to get that sense. What do you feel like is impossible? Who is impossible for you to forgive? Who is impossible for you to let go? Where have you tried before, but you gave up because it wasn't happening? Here's the thing. Our world has amazing technology. I mean, literally, if, I, if my dad, when he was in seminary in the 70s, had told somebody he was going to preach from a computer, the computer filled the stage. I mean, like... But in a world of that amazing technology, you know what still takes people's breath away? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is still a miracle, and it only happens because of the work of God. And so I want us to begin praying that this would be a time when God would move in miraculous ways in our midst. And I'm praying for that too. Because in writing this, I thought that I had kind of worked through it all. And then God goes, what about that person? And I was like, oh, really? He's like, yeah. So I'm with you in this too. Let me pray over you. God, thank you so much that you gave your life for us. You wouldn't have come if we weren't sinful and broken. You wouldn't have come if, if we were not okay. You wouldn't have come if we could have taken care of this on our own. You came because we were more broken and sinful than we could ever imagine. And every day we learn more about our need for you. And you came that verse says, because you so loved the world. You didn't come to condemn the world. You came because you love the world. And today, God, I believe that there are some men and women in this room, some men and women who are watching online who've never experienced that forgiveness. Who've been trying to do life in their own power and strength, and they've never come face to face with their need for you. They've never admitted, yep, I'm a mess. Yeah, I'm sinful. Yeah, I'm broken. And I can't do this on my own. If that's you, and you would say, I've never experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. I've never allowed him to clean me up from my worst day and to forgive my biggest failures. But I want to. I want to experience that. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? Thank you. A prayer doesn't make us forgiven. That's the act of a heart that invites God in. But I'm going to lead you in a prayer that is an expression of that heart. So if that's you and you just raised your hand or you're watching online and you raised your hand, would you, would you pray with me? God, I'm broken. God, I'm a mess. God, I've got sin in my life more than I realize. God, I need you. I need your forgiveness. God, I want to be free. I don't want to be stuck here. God, 
cleanse me, forgive me. Show me how I can live in the freedom that my heart longs for. I put my faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now there are others of you in this room, you prayed a prayer like that a long time ago but you've been slamming yourself and beating yourself up and refusing to forgive yourself. And so the altar is open no matter which camp you fall in. We'll have prayer partners up here who would love to pray with you and pray over you. One of my greatest fears is that we have freedom available to us in Christ and we haven't entered into it. Not because it isn't offered, but because we haven't stepped in. So this song we sing is gonna be a reminder that we are everything that God says we are. And so I'm gonna ask you to stand and sing, come forward and pray, respond to how God is speaking into your heart today. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.